Well, hey, Grace Chapel, great to be with you all today. Welcome back to those who are up at Camp in the Woods. Sounds like you had a great week. Welcome back to those who are on the Cape or in the mountains. Welcome back to those who didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we're glad you're here. We're actually just back from a week in Ireland. We had a great trip that Karen and I took. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. I'm happy to be driving on the right side of the road again. So uh, that's good for, good for me. So we're glad you're here and look forward to uh, this season that's kind of stretching out in front of us. Now, according to the now classic Staples commercial, we find ourselves in the second most wonderful time of the year. And we all remember that uh, iconic commercial of the father dancing through the aisles as he buys school supplies as his two forlorn children look on in misery and dread. And we get it. And chances are we can identify with both perspectives. I mean, there's something about the start of a new season that's that's energizing, that's hopeful, but it can also bring a measure of anxiety and, and even some dread. But I think the one thing that we can all get excited about as a new year begins is the opportunity for a fresh start or a clean slate. Y'all remember blackboards, right? Now, for some of us, it was a staple, pardon the pun, of our uh, school experience. Uh, for younger generations, blackboards are kind of retro and hip. So either way, they work because there's something magical about a blackboard. You can, you can write on it. You can compute on it. You can create on it. You can draw pictures on it. You can make lists on it. You can even make mistakes on it. Because the wonderful thing about a blackboard is that any time you want, you can just erase the whole thing and start all over again and fill it up again with more words and more numbers and more pictures and more mistakes and then just erase it and start over again as many times as you want. Now, full disclosure, we thought it'd be a cool idea to actually have a blackboard and use the blackboard for this little series. So we stole this thing from the student ministry space upstairs only to find out it doesn't actually erase. It just kind of smears. So it's just there for appearance, but uh, it works that way. A clean slate means a fresh start. It means a new beginning. And we don't get many of those in life. I mean, in real, in real life, it's not so easy to just erase the things that have happened to us. The, the mistakes we've made, the, the things that have been done to us, the things we wish we could have, would have, should have done differently. But every September, as the kids go back to school, as summer comes to an end, as the air freshens, we have the opportunity to get out the eraser and start again. A new beginning, a clean slate, a chance to to do some things differently this time around, to meet some new people, to form some new habits, maybe break some old ones, to take a second run at something that didn't go so well last year. Clean slate. I mean, it means an opportunity to begin again, to learn, to grow, to change. And that feels good, even if it means you're going back to school. Now, just check out the picture, this picture here for a minute. Check out the, the, the look on this little girl's face. I mean, it's her first day of kindergarten, and she's a little bit scared, but a lot excited. And I happen to know that because it's one of my granddaughters, Nora, her first day of kindergarten down in Florida this year, and I'll 
take any chance I can to put a picture of my grandkids up there. So that's little Nora. So this series we're calling Clean Slate is designed to give all of us, whatever our age or stage of life, a fresh start as we begin this new year. So today we're going to talk about a clean slate at school. But it's going to have relevance whether you're actually in school or not. Next week we'll talk about a clean slate at home. I'm actually going to invite Karen to join me for part of that message, and we'll talk about how we order our lives at home. And then in two weeks, on Labor Day Sunday, we'll talk about a, a, a clean slate at work. Once again, with relevance, no matter what stage of life or work you find yourself in. So today, as we talk about going back to school, so to speak, let's go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And in the spirit of back to school, let's all stand to class as we read together our passage for today from Proverbs. We'll be reading from uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Together, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well done. You may be seated. Well, as this opening line suggests, the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings, maxims, axioms, aphorisms, epigrams, truisms. They go by many names. A proverb is basically a short, pithy statement about how life works in God's world. How life works in God's world, generally speaking. Proverbs are not promises. Many of them come with exceptions. And proverbs aren't really commands. They're more like invitations. Invitations to live life in sync with the purposes of the God who made us and who made this world. And all of the Proverbs don't come from Solomon, but, but he's the primary contributor and he is the muse behind this collection. The first eight chapters serve as kind of a prologue to the book, uh, describing the benefits and the blessings of wisdom. And the opening verses that we just read begin to answer three important questions for us. What is wisdom? How do we get it? And why does it matter? What is wisdom? How do we get it? And why is it so important? Let's just talk through the verses a little bit and see if we can answer those questions along the way. First question, what is wisdom? And Solomon speaks to that in verses two through four. We'll put them up on the screen and I'll point out just a few words here. Now the Hebrew word for wisdom, hakma, is a rich and dynamic word. So much so that Solomon offers us a collection of synonyms to help us understand it. And in the same way that, that a rainbow 
refracts light into its constituent colors. This collection of synonyms reveals the different aspects of wisdom. So let's look at them for a moment. He begins with the word instruction. Now, instruction implies content and even correction, a body of knowledge to be mastered. Understanding points to concepts, getting the big picture and not just the the facts and the figures. Insight implies discovery, aha moments of clarity. Prudence means common sense, the practical application of knowledge. The three words right, just, and fair taken together remind us that wisdom isn't just about truth, it's about goodness, it's about morality. Knowledge emphasizes facts, figures, information, and discretion means knowing how and when to use all of this knowledge in ways that are helpful and appropriate. So altogether, these synonyms paint a picture of wisdom as a multifaceted tool for everyday life. You can think of wisdom as a Swiss army knife for every circumstance of life. Wisdom is best described as practical knowledge or skill for living. And who doesn't need more of that? So in these opening verses, Solomon tells us that knowledge is a good thing. That the more we know about the world and about human experience, the more we understand about the way human beings work and the way the world works, the more insight we have into the mysteries behind the universe, the better equipped we are to live well which, of course, suggests that going back to school is a pretty good idea, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In the next few verses, Solomon answers the how question. How do we get this wisdom, this practical knowledge? Well, he answers that in uh, in verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Solomon reminds us that wisdom doesn't just fall into our laps. Wisdom doesn't happen to us just because years pass by. We have to be intentional about it. He says we have to listen. We have to add to our learning. We we have to get guidance. These are active words that require intentionality and engagement and participation. Now, neuroscientists tell us that our brains actually grow as as we learn, that we're not stuck with the brains we've been given, which is a good thing for some of us. You can grow your brain. As you learn, as you gain new insight, uh, find new discoveries, the, the folds in your brain actually increase. You form new neural pathways by which knowledge can be stored and transmitted and synthesized. You actually get smarter and wiser as you learn. Let the wise add to their learning. He makes an even stronger case if we jump ahead into chapter two. He says, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, he's calling us to an all-out, no-holds-barred search for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Look for it as if your life depended on it, he says, because it does. 
As, as Karen and I have traveled the world on mission trips over the years, I've had opportunities to visit some of, a, some of the most impoverished places on the planet, actually. And we, we, what we've discovered in each of these places is that the key to breaking the cycle of poverty is education. If just one member of a family can gain a skill, can, can, can get a degree, it can change the trajectory of that entire household and of generations to come. And that's true whether we're talking about, about the slums of Kibera in Kenya or the rural villages in the cliffs of India, orphanages in Moldova, the garbage communities of Guatemala City, even some of the under-resourced neighborhoods in our own cities, in Boston, Philadelphia, Appalachia, where our trips have gone before. The golden ticket is education. And so you will find families prepared to make any sacrifice, parents who will go hungry themselves, who will work two or three menial jobs, siblings who will give up their chance to go to school, to send one, one of their brothers or sisters, the most promising, off to school. You'll find children willing to walk miles and miles every day to get to school. You'll find people willing to risk their lives, young women in particular, to get an education. And just so you know, the mission partners we support in all those places I mentioned, those mission partners are committed to the promotion and the providing of education for these families, for these children and these young people. So when you give to Grace, when you give through Grace Chapel, you're helping provide education for young people all over the world that can lead them to a new and a better life. So that's the kind of intentionality, that's the kind of pursuit that Solomon is talking about here. So what is wisdom? It's practical wisdom. It's skill for living. How do you get it? By intentionality, by engagement, by pursuing it, by seeking it as if your life depends on it because it does. So, so what does all that mean for us here uh, on the threshold of a new year in greater Boston, what may be the academic capital of the world? Well, for one thing, it means that knowledge and learning is not just a good thing, it is a godly thing. It means that we honor God and his purposes for our lives and humanity when we learn, when we go to school in whatever ways are available to us. Centuries ago, St. Augustine declared that all truth is God's truth. The idea being that God's truth isn't only found in the Bible. God has also revealed himself in the world of nature. He has revealed himself to the human conscience as well as in the scriptures and in his son. And so when we discover truths about the universe, insights into how human beings work, we are simply coming to understand more fully and more deeply the beauty and the order and the reason that God has wired into this universe that he made. So psychology helps us understand the truth about human behavior and relationships. Geology helps us understand the truth about, about the physical earth, how it was formed, its composition and its structure. Mathematics helps us understand the truth about numbers and quantities and space. 
The fine arts reveal the truth about beauty and color and shape and movement. The humanities help us understand the truth about human history and human experience. All truth is God's truth, so we don't have to be afraid of learning, of education, of science. Surveys have shown again and again that somewhere around half of all the world's scientists are people of faith, people who believe in a personal God or at least in some higher power behind it all. Half of all scientists are people of faith. We have a, a group here at Grace Chapel called GC Science. They are committed to pursuing the, the intersection of, of science and faith. They, 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 they host one of the largest science faith Facebook pages in the world. They get together about once a month or so to read a book or talk about some matter of, of the integrating of science and faith. Harvard University's motto right down the road is, is Veritas, truth. And like so many of our colleges and universities, it was founded by people of faith. It was founded by clergy and for clergy who believe that knowledge is honoring to God and that Christian people ought to be the most curious people on the planet. It means that spending the first 18 years of your life in school is a good thing. Now, I know it doesn't always feel that way when you're sitting there watching the clock tick through some boring lecture or... You're missing a TV show or a ball game because you're having to do some homework. But the knowledge, the information that you are acquiring in school will serve you well for years to come, for a lifetime. It's not just about the, the factoids and the figures that you may or may not remember. It's about the discipline of observation and interpretation. It's about learning to think critically. It's about being curious about the world around you and disciplining yourself to be thoughtful and reflective. Now, I was a, I was a pretty good student in school, but, but math was not my strong suit. I didn't enjoy it, and it did not come very easily to me. Now, fortunately, I had a great math teacher for both algebra one year and geometry the next year. Mr. Labruna somehow made mathematics clear to me and, and almost fun. Almost fun. He tried really hard to make it fun, and he came close sometimes. And as I look back, I realize now that, that those proofs we had to memorize in geometry, remember those? All of them seeming so pointless at the time actually taught me how to think logically, how to build an argument, how to solve a problem how to take something apart and put it back together again. Now, after I took the final exam in geometry, I have never once had to prove that two sides of a triangle are complementary or something like that. It's just never happened to me. <laughs> but many, many times, I've had to argue or prove something else. In fact, I do it almost every Sunday. And I honestly believe that high school geometry was a part of my preparation for a life of ministry and preaching and teaching. So students, whatever grade or year you might be in in school, whatever subjects you might be studying or struggling with, 
It matters. It's important. It's worth your best effort because the things you learn, the skills you acquire, the habits you form will serve you well for the rest of your life. Parents, all the time and energy, the decisions and the dollars that you invest in your kids' education, it's worth it. You are setting them up for a better chance at success in life. All the dioramas and the worksheets and the college applications and the last-minute dashes to CVS for poster board, and it all matters. It's worth it. Some of you are homeschoolers, and you've accepted the entire responsibility for your child's education. It's worth it. Educators, teachers, professors, administrators, aides, specialists, support personnel. What you do matters. You are not just contributing to the well-being of the students you serve. You're contributing to the well-being of society. You are actually advancing God's purpose for humanity, which is that we would understand, explore, and maximize this planet he has placed in our care, that we would steward it well to the glory of God. Now, interesting little side note here. Many years after graduating from high school, I was speaking up at Camp of the Woods one summer. And as I looked out over the crowd on a Sunday morning, I saw Mr. LaBruna, my high school math teacher, just sitting right out there. Turns out he had friends on the lake. He'd come over to visit. He's a devout Christ follower, which explains perhaps why he's such a devoted teacher. He understood his sense of calling. Students, Parents, educators, what you're doing matters. And those of us who aren't in school, what about us? According to Solomon, you don't have to be in school to get wisdom. Anyone can add learning. Anyone can get guidance. Anyone can look for it as if for a hidden treasure. You don't have to take a course. You don't have to be in a degree program. Education doesn't end with our, our age or some degree that we get. It is a lifelong pursuit. So what steps will you take to grow in wisdom this year? What books will you read? What podcasts will you listen to? Whose blogs will you follow? What continuing education or professional development opportunities will you take advantage of? When you have time at home in the evening or on the weekend, will you turn off the TV or the video game or the computer and, and open up a book? Or take a walk or a drive to the public library? Or the bookstore and just browse around for a while? Will you swipe out of Facebook and Instagram? and onto some website that helps you explore some topic of interest or importance to you? Will you get into a small group at church this year and join a group of people who want to grow in their knowledge of God through studying the scriptures and gain wisdom for life by having conversation with each other about things that matter? Will you find a place to serve this year so that you acquire some new skills so that you push yourself to study and prepare. You form some new neural pathways in your brain. 
The wonderful thing about wisdom is that anyone can get it. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. It doesn't matter how, how much money or how little you have. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. Anyone can listen and learn and grow. And when we do, we honor God and his purposes for us and for the world. And that leads us really to our final question, why all of this matters? Why is wisdom so important? Why is it worth this all-out search? Well, Solomon answers the question in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We seek wisdom and knowledge and truth because ultimately it leads us to God because he himself is the source of wisdom and knowledge and truth, because he himself is the one who made it all. He is the master mind behind the universe. He is the chief architect. He is the author and finisher of all that is. And so if knowledge and wisdom and insight come from God, then the more knowledge and insight we gain brings us closer to God. And the converse is also true. The closer we get to God, the more wisdom and understanding and insight we gain. The Christian college that I attended, like most of our Christian colleges and universities, was based on the commitment to the integration of faith and learning. I must have heard that a thousand times in my four years there. We got sick of hearing about the integration of faith and learning. But I am so grateful that that value was instilled in me from early on. That learning is no threat to faith. That learning, when it's done right, leads to deeper faith. Solomon says it more vividly in chapter 2. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the true knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God is mentioned about a hundred times in the 31 chapters of Proverbs. And almost every time he is mentioned by his personal name, Yahweh. He is the God who wants to be known. The God who has revealed himself to humanity. In nature. In the human spirit as well as in the scripture and in his son, Jesus. So if we dare to improve on Augustine, which is a risky thing to do, I think we can say that if all truth is God's truth, then if we seek truth, it will ultimately lead us to him. If all truth is God's truth, then as we seek truth, it will lead us to God. That's why we don't have to be afraid of faith, of science rather, of inquiry, of discovery, of knowledge, of education. Because the more we learn about the universe and about human experience, the more we come to understand our all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-beautiful, all-good God who's behind it all. In fact, if our knowledge doesn't lead us to a deeper understanding of God, then we have become not wise, but fools. Proverbs has a lot to say about the fool. And it turns out the fool isn't a person without a degree or a diploma. The fool is a person who gains knowledge, but ignores God. The fool says in his or her heart, there is no God. 
The fool makes the same mistake that our ancestors Adam and Eve made in the garden when they thought they could gain knowledge by taking from a tree rather than by listening to the one who made the tree. So that knowledge was corrupted right from the get-go. And we've been seeking and pursuing the true knowledge of God ever since. All truth is God's truth. And when we seek truth, it leads us to him. Now, I, I was reminded of all these things in a very vivid way just recently on this trip to Ireland that I mentioned earlier. Finally gave Karen a chance to get back and visit the, the land from which her grandparents emigrated uh, not all that long ago. We had a great time just touring the island. But one of our first stops was Trinity College in Dublin, one of the oldest colleges in the world, founded some 500 years ago, and dedicated, by the way, to the glory of the, of the Holy Trinity. In the basement of that, one of the buildings, we got to visit the Book of Kells exhibit. Now, the Book of, Book of Kells is a collection of ancient manuscripts coming from about the ninth century that contain manuscripts that have been copied primarily of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Monks dedicated their lives to not just copying, but illustrating and decorating these manuscripts in ways that would enhance the beauty and the meaning of the text. It was so moving to think of, of, the, of, of these, these monks, these scribes, devoting their entire lives to preserving truth and knowledge of God and his world to be preserved for generations to come. It's very moving. Well, from there, from that exhibit, we walked upstairs to something called the Long Room, which I honestly had never heard of, but when I stepped into it, it took my breath away and literally brought me to tears. Now, the Long Room is a medieval library. It contains 200,000 volumes of the most important works of literature, science, philosophy, and theology in human history. The, the, the books lie as high as you can see, two stories and, and a long, deep room. And then lining the room are, are the busts of 200 or so of the world's greatest thinkers, Homer and Aristotle and Newton and Shakespeare. The room was jam-packed with tourists, but almost completely silent because it felt like sacred space. It felt like holy ground, as if there was this reverence for all this knowledge and learning. But you know, as I walked around, it suddenly occurred to me that this entire library, this collection of human learning, literally rested on the gospel of Jesus Christ contained in the book of Kells right beneath it. In fact, part of the book of Kells had a page, an excerpt on the wall from one of those manuscripts. It was John chapter one. The opening words go, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. Every word 
in those 200,000 volumes is grounded in and resting upon the one eternal word, the true word made flesh in Jesus Christ. All truth is God's truth. And when we seek truth, it will lead us to him. So friends, what will you add to your learning this year? How will you gain wisdom and understanding? Where will you look for insight? At this point, the new year is a clean slate. It's wide open. You can fill it with whatever activities and pursuits you want to. And I hope for all of us that we will fill that slate in part with the pursuit of knowledge and understanding that will lead us to a deeper knowledge of God and his purposes for our lives and our church and the world. And that is such an important pursuit that we want to send you out today with a prayer of blessing those of you who are students and educators. We want to do that on each of our campuses individually, so I'm going to wrap up the message in a brief prayer here for a moment. And then a pastor on one of your campuses, each of your campus will come and, and lead your congregation in a prayer of commissioning. So let's bow and pray together for just a moment. We thank you, Lord, for this book of Proverbs. Thank you for this larger book, the Scripture, for the wealth of knowledge and insight that it contains. Thank you for the world around us and the wealth of knowledge and, and, and insight that is waiting there to be discovered as well as we seek to understand it by the power of your spirit and by the guidance of your word. So we pray, Lord, that you might bless each of us and all of us this year, that you might indeed make it a year of learning and growth for our joy, for your glory, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Pastor Richard is away today, so I get to pray for uh, this, the Lexington campus here and for all of you uh, who are going to be pursuing learning this year. So uh, I'm going to ask a few of you to stand in here, and then I'm going to offer a prayer. So let's begin. I'd like to ask all the students from pre-K through 12 to stand right where you are. If you're a student, pre-K through 12, stand right where you are, okay? Can we just give them a round of applause? Thanks, students. All right, stay standing. You got to stay up. Got to stay up. I got some more to stand. If you are a college or a graduate student at any level, would you stand where you are? Okay, college or graduate students. Maybe, maybe some of you are about to go off to school somewhere else. Maybe some of you are just here in Boston to get your school year started. But we want to pray for you. Educators. If you are a teacher, a professor, an aide, a specialist, a support personnel, even a librarian, if you are involved at all in the work of academia, would you stand where you are? And I'm going to ask you to remain standing as we all pray for you. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful world that you have made for the fullness and the richness of it waiting to be explored. 
We thank you for the minds you have given us to seek knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We thank you for the freedom and opportunities we have in this country, and in particular in this part of the country, to pursue knowledge. So we want to pray your blessing now on all those involved in the pursuit of knowledge and learning this year. We pray for these students who are standing. Some of them excited about the year to come, some of them fearful of the year to come, but we pray you would fill them with joy and anticipation and resolve that this would be a year of great growth and learning for them. Prepare their hearts and minds for what you want them to understand. Lead them to to friends and, and mentors who can help guide them through the year. Allow them to be a blessing and a positive influence in their schools that they attend. Lord, we pray for for college and graduate students who are here today, some of them perhaps traveling to new and and unknown places to learn and to grow, forming new friendships, forming worldviews. We pray for graduate students and those perhaps who are gaining skills to make them more effective at their chosen vocation. May you bless their efforts to serve you and the world well professionally. And Lord, we... We pray for educators here, for those who teach and mentor and care and lead and learn and guide. Thank you for their commitment, their investment in young lives and older lives, in the increase of knowledge and understanding in our communities and and in the wider world. May they find joy and fulfillment, energy and vision for their work this year. And for all of us, Lord, who want this year to be a fruitful and a profitable one, who look forward to all that we might learn and grow into this year. May you prepare our hearts and minds. Direct us to those people and places and opportunities that will allow us to grow and learn. Give us the discipline and the heart and the courage to want to explore some new things. And may you enrich our lives in order that we might enrich the lives of those around us and this world that you made in love. In Jesus' name, amen.